0: Hello everyone, this is Zed Ninja and you are now listening to the Storm Connect podcast, published by the Sigil Arts Network. I talk about gaming topics and anime series of my own interests, like Ruby, Final Fantasy, Persona 5 Royal, and so on forward. The goal I aim to accomplish on every episode is to provide insights on these subjects that are usually overlooked to spread awareness and learn more. Remnant Rewind is a special segment of the Storm Connect show to where we talk about Rooster T's Ruby, which is a 3D animated web show consisting of four anime-esque girls. Ruby, Weiss, Blake, and Yang, and a few other traveler friends to train to become huntsmen and huntresses. However, they are now faced with a greater responsibility, which is putting their lives on the line to fight off against the creatures of Grimm and a formidable foe that will be mentioned in this episode. So if you have no knowledge of the Ruby series, I recommend you check out the episodes at RoosterTeeth.com. That being said, let's rewind on Ruby Volume 8, Chapters 9 and 10. So... Obviously, their goal was to get inside of the whale, but I'm just impressed of how they did that, especially that there is an insane amount of Grimm coming out of the whale. So, as to how they got in through the mouth, I I would love to see a segment of that, though, but (laughs) here we are, I suppose. However, I also wanted to point out the dialogue interaction with Yang, Jean and Ren. I don't know why, but like for some reason, even though like, okay, we're here, but uh, why the fuck did we think this was a good idea? I- I don't know, just something about it just felt so realistic for them to be in a situation like this, even though they're like all scared as fuck for being in Salem's territory. They do a good job of keeping up with that consistency, which I'll get more into it later in this episode, but uh, for now, moving on a little bit forward. Uh, Ren's semblance has even evolved even more, not only that he can see through people's emotions, but he can also track down people so long that there is some type of emotion nearby. He can't tell who's who, but if there's emotions, then he can somehow pinpoint the location of it. Gotta say, I'm actually impressed as to how far he's come with this training, because like, we've kind of seen bits and pieces of it in Volume 7, but in Volume 8, it looks like it's paid off quite well, and I'm actually happy to see that. I won't deny, at first, when we saw, like, the first sign of it evolving, I was a little bit skeptical, because I'm just like, he can see through people's emotions? Uh, I, I- I- don't know. I thought that would be a little bit redundant, especially for Robin's semblance just, you know, discovered in the last volume, but, I mean, now that we actually get to- get a clearer picture of this, it all makes sense. We transition to Oscar, and slash Ospen essentially. <sighs> you know, I thought we were done with the whole fairy tale bullshit after for- Volume 6, but I, I should expect that that was not going to go away anytime soon or, you know, or at all. Not saying it's a bad thing, though, but I'm just surprised that there's even a conversation about it when they're just so dead right now after getting their asses handed by Hazel so much. Now see here's my thing, Oscar is pretty much reflecting of the situation as to what's happening and like how he thought of what things would be if his life were to be, you know, different and if he were to be granted with this type of responsibility as a huntsman of, you know, in the world of Remnant or some other way for his life to be exciting or for him to be reliable. I just wish they go a little bit more into it, not just of his own personal thoughts, but it's just like, you know, he was living with his aunt, and he pretty much just left just like that, and he is an underage kid, so <laughs> how does an aunt let a 14-year-old farm boy just walk on his own like that and just meet up with a group of other teenagers and a fucking drunk-ass uncle in the middle of mistral? I'm sorry, but I I'm just, just want to learn a little bit more about that. Because we just only got bits and pieces from it, but like, it was just dropped, just like that. You know, it just reminds me of the time that Sora, from Kingdom Hearts, he one day just went out of his home, you know, his mom was calling him for dinner, and there has been no thought or discussion about his mom or his family, nothing. Nothing of that sort, and I feel like that's exactly what happened here with Oscar. Oh, we hear a a voice. Uh, you know, a woman's voice who claims to be the aunt of Oscar Pines. And then, yeah, after that, never again. <laughs> that being said, uh, before I proceed on forward to the chapter, I just want to make a quick apology. At least if the apology is warranted to one of my editors. Uh, who will probably be listening to this podcast episode soon. Uh, (laughs) He is a big fan, and I mean a very, very big fan of Oscar Pines, and I don't know if he's going to be a fond of this uh, comparison that I just made there, but (laughs) yeah, yeah, this is my little personal note to you, uh, friend, Nikki. Sorry. But anywho, moving along. We also learned that something that's kind of like easy to draw out of this picture, that the more that Oscar relies on magic, the more, uh, the faster of the process of Oscar and Ospin actually merging. And I do like the fact that he is trying to fight that off. Even though it is inevitable, he still wants to preserve much of his, well, not only his sanity, but his actual self before, well, Ospen pretty much takes over him, unfortunately. I just wonder if his semblance is going to be revealed in this volume, because it's still potential that it could happen, but if not, then the only thing that will be special about with Oscar, besides with his uh, character death in this volume, and taking the main protagonist role, is pretty much magic. That's it. My apologies for saying this, but how in the hell is a random-ass 14-year-old farm boy that came into the middle of the fucking show... And he actually starts having character development somewhere around with Volume 6. And it shows a lot with 7. And it's carrying a lot through Volume 8. And it's done a lot more progress than Ruby has done with the entire show. She's growing around with Volume 6 by a teensy bit. But 7 and 8, it's there. But Oscar has just been making leaps. And it shows a lot. Whether that's a good thing or not, I'll let you all decide that. Another thing that I want to mention in this, uh, chapter is, uh, the segment with the military, the Atlas military. (sighs) I made this complaint before. I'm pretty confident that I have, but why is there, why, why is there a lack of huntsmen in Atlas? All I see has been so much of military and such, which I get it. It's one thing, but like, you're also a huntsman and huntress academy, you know, and the fact that there was many and military NPCs, and we only see two huntsmen besides Winter. Besides Winter and Marrow, we only see two huntsmen that we actually recognize, and we've seen them before in the past. I'm not saying that like we need to have like more huntsmen that are from Atlas that we recognize from Volume 3. We just need something to show that could differentiate from the military. Like, they don't be part of the military. I can get that much, though. But it's just, like, they can't, like, be unique as Team Funky and the Aesops. What is this? And you think there will be some type of encouragement for people to actually to become a Huntsman. Not just part of the military force, just like that, where you just get a gun and just shoot people just for more manpower. I'm not saying that that's needed, though, but... We're in the heart of the core of the Academy, and you'd think we'd see more than that, but we see nothing, absolutely nothing. Not even huntsmen in training, nothing. Like, what was the point of Penny showing us around the Academy, like, as if it was something like Beacon, where there's a cafeteria, where all the classrooms, this is all where our, everyone's dormitories are at, but seriously, like, <laughs> you mean to tell me there's not many other Huntsmen and Huntresses besides Team Funky and the Aesops? Get out of here. And since they went with that route to the fact that there is lack of huntsmen and huntresses at this academy, I hope if there is an actual decent proper explanation for this. Because there's no way in hell you mean to tell me that there are like less than 10 people that are to be considered a and huntresses. Even in training, if you add that title. So getting back to Oscar, Hazel's added to the equation of this scene here. So, Hazel is very interested in learning the truth, however, not in the way that you would think. It's like, okay, what you were just telling me, I want to see if you're bullshitting me or not. So, you summon her. You call out to her name, not me. And, well, yep, he does. Which, the one thing I was really surprised about, because in the uh, couple previous volumes, Jay was not exactly happy with Ruby, the fact that she used her as a way to, like you know get an escape of the situation or to buy time for her to use her silver eyes and Jin made some type of response by saying that okay i'm gonna give you this pass but the next time you summon me you have to ask me a question i'm not gonna let it slide like this time though i will give you one thing this was kind of clever new understanding that i can stop time when i'm summoned But in this case, she doesn't go like, okay, the fact that there's no questions, stuff like that, like, that's kind of bullshit. So I'm surprised that she didn't get upset at all this time. Who knows, she's been getting a lot more exercise than probably as to how she's been coming out of the land for every fucking century. So I guess it would make sense. Maybe that's why she's been letting it slide so often. But, oh my, I I just think that was a little bit much the fact that, like, you know, she showed some great annoyance that she wasn't asked a question. But here we are. Anywho... What also surprised me is the fact that after Oscar summons Jin, like, all the questions that Hazel had were answered. Just like that? Really? That's it? You have nothing to ask of Jin or any of the sort that Salem did not tell you. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's... Impressive. Which, in a way, I can get it though, but I'm like, really? You don't even have one question? Wow. But it was nice that he turns over a new leaf, which it was kind of obvious since, like, you know, he's kind of like the pacifist type of antagonist. But it was nice that he makes a turn around, going like, okay, you know what? <sighs> fuck it. You need to get out of here. And Emerald, you too. You need to get the fuck out of here. Far as possible, away from this bitch. This bitch is fucking crazy. Because at the end, yeah, that's all she's around for is to use people. Like... <laughs> You're going to sit here trying to tell me that Ospen is worse? Because like ospen has been trying to stop her. And yeah, like it was not exactly the way that you'd want it to be, especially of how hurt you are. But bruh, your sister was going to give her life up just to ensure that Salem can be stopped. Even if she didn't know about Salem back then, she was going to eventually. Let's say if she were to live that long. After they all settle with that plan, getting those two out of there and, you know, Oscar with his cane and ensuring that Hazel also safely gets the relic out of here. Well, (laughs) that plan doesn't exactly, you know, go well because Neo, being the great thief that she is, she takes that shit under Salem's nose and she doesn't even realize it at all. She just assumes that one of them took it, but just not Neo. (laughs) I think she probably forgot Neo existed, so she's like, Oh, well, nobody knows that I'm actually here, and I don't talk. Like, <laughs> see ya. Just of how clever and sneaky she is, and just her as a mute character, I don't know why, but it just shows a lot more personality and somewhat better than uh, most characters of the show. But anywho, back to Yang's team. We get a little bit more of how they're acknowledging themselves in the situation of how scared they are, and like, you know, with the insecurities and everything. Now, I won't deny, but, like, the execution of it was alright, but the dialogue was just, not gonna lie, like, to be blunt, it was kinda just cringe. Like, when Ren was talking about going, oh yeah, I can see it, he truly believes that we're gonna get this done, like, why are you treating it as like this is a job? Like, it's not exactly a job. Like, you all are in desperate need to save your friend. Like, you should be saying that, like, oh, yeah. Like, he believes that we're actually going to save Oscar. Like, that just sounds more interpersonal rather than just treating it like it's some type of... Some type of chore, really. Now, if it was anyone in the military, I could definitely understand that more, though. But, come on. Like, th- th- that... The choice of words the characters have used for that scene, I, I don't know. I just felt that that was just so... Weird and just very off-putting. Like, hell, the only thing that was actually normal about that scene was Yang trying to, like, make a joke in the darkest of the situation. Even though, like, she got called out for it. Like, I thought that was okay. But, like, the rest of the dialogue, I, I just, I don't know. It was questionable at best. It may be me just nitpicking at this point, though. But I feel like the way of how you construct with dialogue, it really carries as to how you portray yourself as a character. At least in my own personal opinion. But yeah, I, I get the idea, like I said earlier, but <laughs> work on improving the dialogue lines because there could have been better words for that. So, Jean returns and pretty much uh, he asked Ren to mask them because a Grim was coming by. So, here's the thing, okay? I pretty much have studied this since, well, I've been watching Ruby. I've been like watching this very carefully. And if you guys know me, I'm much of a visual type of designer type of guy. So I pay attention to details like these. So I want to give a proper explanation of aura breaking and the signs of aura that is about to break. I will mention that the show kind of made this a little bit inconsistent, but like they've been trying to improve ways as to how Aura is about to break, or like when it is broken and all those things, so let me break this down for you, okay? So in the recent volumes of how they've been showing how Aura has been working out, if your Aura is flickering, that means you used a lot of Aura, uh, you're very low on Aura, or your Aura is on the verge of breaking at any moment now. So when we see the Aura flickering, just like that, that doesn't mean that it's completely broken, it just means that they're low on it and they can still use their semblance. However, to show of how the aura actually breaks is when it flickers and we see particle effects coming out of that aura. When we see that, then they're completely vulnerable, they cannot use their semblance, and, well, they're doomed. I hope this clears it up for people because I actually see a lot of people actually getting confused of whenever they see signs of aura because I-, I get it. Everyone's on the verge because like whenever we see aura that just shows up out of nowhere like that, we all like automatically assume the worst that, oh, their aura's broken. No, that's not the case. The flicker effect is mostly seeing that it's about to break or they use a lot at that moment of that battle or, well, like what I just said earlier. When we see particle effects, when, it, the, or, when the aura transitions into particle effects and it just breaks off of the character like that, then that's how you know. Also, another thing that I also want to note, if this clears up any type of confusion, characters, they can regenerate aura. However, when they're regenerating aura, they still cannot exactly use it. They just have to wait till it's like fully recharged, or you get someone like Jean to amplify your aura, and then, well, you're good to go to use your semblance and use it as your protection shield. Speaking of that, I hope we actually get to use it as some type of protection field like we kind of did in Volume 1. It was shown in Volume 1, but there was a point of time where um, Pyrrha, she was explaining how Aura works. And there are many ways of how you can use it, not just as a semblance, but it can also be to your advantage. So there was a Grim Snake that attacked Ren in Volume 1, as Pyrrha was explaining it. And uh, to stop the Grim Snake... It was a bite. It was about to bite off of Red, but he stopped using his aura on both of his hands. And well, he just fucking breaks off of that shit. And well, he excelled in that fight. I really hope we get more moments like these because I see that like it's now been somewhat inconsistent on the show. I don't know if it's a good idea to like implement that type of idea anymore. But it would be nice to see if we see that again. If we get to see this return in the future volumes of Ruby. I feel like the battle choreography for the future fights would improve a lot. But before, we get to see Emerald and quote-unquote Hazel, they fooled Salem very well cuz Salem usually can she's able to pick up when some shit is funny to her when something's up, but I guess in that situation they were able to pull it off and at the, at the perfect time like she was worried about the relic. Like damn, I'm actually impressed that bitch could actually like use other people like, she's always been able to use other people for her semblance uh like that to be as someone else, but wow, that hallucination of the voice and such and how Oscar was able to like pose of Hazel. It was just so funny. Like, now that we actually know that it was Oscar posing as Hazel, it was really interesting to see some type of Oscar was within Hazel. I was like, okay, that was so odd, uh, because I I've never seen Hazel so humble like that and so uh Shy, so <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I thought that was kind of funny, but impressive as well on Emerald's part. Eventually, Team Yank was able to locate Oscar, and they encountered Emerald. Which, of course, the confrontation was about to start. However, Ren already picks up on the situation, where it's like, yeah, she's scared right now. And even though like she did some things, like she she does not want to be a part of this. So I I think we could trust as to how she's actually feeling right now. In response to that, Emerald did not appreciate Rand kind of calling her out like that because she was like, "Uh, no, I'm not actually scared. I just know how to get the fuck out of here. Even though, like, girl, you've been there since, like, the beginning and now you're just saying this? Uh, Okay. But anywho, we know that you've been bullshitting because otherwise, if that wasn't the case, you would have fought them for your own personal benefit. But at the same time, since you're outnumbered and they're starting to get an idea of how your semblance works, yeah, you're fucked. You don't want to be a part of this anymore. So it's clear since then. Next, uh, the payload arrives, and there, the Alice military is now making the preparations and the setup for them to, well, <laughs> blow up the fucking Grim Whale. Uh, Mero calls out Winter, and you know Mero like, "Oh, are you still gonna say that if this was your sister in there and such? Like, how are you gonna say this to our friends since he's been showing a little bit more emotion towards to Winter that way?" and <sighs> Okay, I've seen a lot of people talk about this, like, you know, Winter is kind of a shitty sister or whatever, but like, or not a shitty sister, but more so as a character, actually, not a sibling, since the situation is with, uh, Yang's team, not actually, like, Weiss herself. My thing with this is the fact that, like, how is she a bad character? I-I don't understand this, because... Yeah, she has made it very clear, like, she does not like, and probably to some extent, she doesn't agree of what the plan is. But, and she takes, she doesn't even take any pleasure from it. But she's like, but you know what? People are dying, and we gotta carry out our mission some way, shape, or form. And the way of how she's been doing things is more fair, because she actually does care for the team still. But she also cares about her hometown, and the preserving the life of the Atlas citizens here. So... Yeah, she made it because, like, I, I gave her their window, I was kind of fair on it, like, th- they're gonna be just fine. I, I don't know if they will be or not, though, but we we need to stop her, now. Now, there's an actual counterpoint that I want to make here with Mero, actually. Um, here's the thing, Meryl he, he kind of acts childish, and I, I have to, like, remember this every time, uh, whenever he gets on the screen, but... <laughs> You know, I get it. When it comes to su- uh, to somebody that you know, it hits harder than, you know, with strangers that you don't know. However, he's part of the military and he's been aware about this for so long how he's been part of the military, right? You know, he's going like, how could you do this to our friends and stuff like that? I'm like, well, yeah, I I see your point as to why you feel that way. But it's just like, the more that you delay this, the more people are going to be dying from this. If they don't stop Salem, like, what if they don't come out? What if they already died of the whale? You don't know what's going on. If you're that worried, go inside with them. That's all you could have done. But anywho. Even with that conflict in his mind, I don't. I wouldn't say it's a bad thing, though. But I'm just here going like, you kind of have to remember of what you signed yourself up for. Don't like discard that all of a sudden. However, I still like the fact that you're keeping uh, your morals together, especially how you're not agreeing with this. Because again, Winter's kind of on the same boat that, as you are. But that's all I really have to say for that scene. The rest of it just ends up with Yang's team versus Salem. Yes. (laughs) Now this I was not expecting, but hey, we got a real treat out of this. First off, I shouldn't be surprised that she could just magically teleport from location to location of the Grimm inside, since this is her dominion. But, god damn, the way she did it just sent a chill down to my spine like that, like, wow. I gotta give it to Kruby, like, they always do a good job of, uh, implementing the horror aspect of the series. Now, it was really interesting to see, like, Salem going for Emerald rather than the intruders, cause, I mean, yeah, Emerald did help them out, though, but the fact that she was so pissed off as to how well she fooled her with her siblings, it's like, oh, God, I'd be pretty pissed, too, not gonna lie. And then the rest of the characters, yeah, they tried it. And honestly, I just love of how Yang just charged right at front of Salem. She literally just, like, plants a lot of bombs onto her, and she just explodes, and she's like, oh, <laughs> That shit ain't gonna stop me, the fuck, and the the way of how she grabbed Jake was just so fucking freaky. Again, amazing job of the horror aspect of the episode. So after Salem single-handedly take down Emerald, Oscar, Jean, Ren, and Yang, now this part of the dialogue was actually really good. I love of how frustrated and angry that she gets towards the Oscar, since, I mean, well, Ozma is within Oscar, And, you know, that makes her so mad because it's like, why the fuck do you keep coming back? Like, I'm so tired of you. Like, you can just see a lot of hate within her uh, that she has for Ozma after everything that's happened for the past millennia. But (laughs) we see that dynamic of that and then we just see that dynamic with Yang calling out Salem. And as soon as that she has her attention directed towards this Yang, she just stops giving a fuck. She's like, oh, This bitch wants to steal the spotlight that we're having. All right, fine. I'll give her the attention because she's part of of the main cast. So I might as well give her my attention, even though she doesn't deserve it. Let's see where this takes me. You can just see that by the look on her face because she just goes back to being like calm and well composed. And she's like, all right, you're you're trying to call me out that I've been so upset about this once upon a time story and I've been killing people left and right. Who, wh- wh- why, why Why? are you mad? Why, why are you so angry? Who did I kill? Who did I take from you, bitch? Now, Yang's response, I wasn't particularly a fond of. In some way, yes, but in some way, I wasn't. I'd say, like, it's mid at best. So, when Salem asks her, Who is it that I've taken from you? Why are you so upset with me? And she's like, You took my mom, Summer Rose. And I'm like, that's it? That's all you're gonna mention? Your mom, Summer Rose? I mean, yeah, she is your mom, though, but she also took your other mom, your actual biological mother, if you think about it. Because the whole reason why Raven ran away was because of Salem. She is so scared of fucking Salem, and the fact that she's also spring maiden, it makes sense as to why she has to separate herself away from Yang. But also, it's the way of how the writers wrote... (laughs) raven and yang i am not exactly a fond of of like what they did like it was great at the beginning in the middle i'm not saying it was entirely bad but it was mixed and even after for knowing everything it's like why do you still keep antagonizing your mom like yeah she didn't make the best decisions and she made very very bad choices but like if you look at it as a character like this all would have not happened if Salem would just chill out and just well die (laughs) She took the relationship that you could have had with her. Again, that's like a whole debate for like a whole nother day. But it's like Salem does take part into, well, she did take Raven from her. Not kill her, but basically the relationship and everything else that comes with it. But <laughs> goddamn, you could just see of how like is not even that interested well, m- maybe not interested is the best way to put it, though. But, like, Sailor's gonna like, oh, her again. Oh, I love talking about Summer Rose. Let me talk about how I tortured the living shit out of your mom. I feel like she was about to go off on that shit. Because she just made that snarky-ass smile. And just, God, just the way of how she is. I feel like she's a really great antagonist. I'm not gonna lie. After that, Hazel shows up. The real Hazel. Not the Oscar Hazel. The real Hazel. And... He's putting the facade on the one like, your grace, like, yes, I still follow you. Um, and I just find it really interesting of, like, how Salem was going, like, she's kind of talking to him a little bit more personally, going, like, oh, yeah, this one was helping them. Like, wow, Hazel, can you actually believe what these obnoxious children are trying to do? Like, oh, my God, wow. And Hazel's just, like, go along with it, like, uh-huh. Yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah, that's crazy. And after that, he just starts going apeshit towards her. (laughs) I don't know why, but that's, like, the best summary of how I could explain that scene, and it was just so great. Although, I just wish Emerald got blasted, just because I personally just don't like her, but, like... Honestly, after all the shit that Emerald has put through with the main cast, she deserved that shit. I'm sorry, but, like, she definitely deserved that. I'm like, yes, Salem. Scare her to death. I want her to be fearful. (laughs) Oh, God. I'm sorry. All I'm saying is that you get what you deserve, okay? But that's just my personal two cents. I mean, I don't know if there's any Emerald fans listening to this podcast episode. You might feel indifferent for what I just mentioned, but that goes both ways for a lot of things. Uh... And now, like, we actually get to see a full-on fight between Salem and Hazel. I won't deny, I wish it was a little bit of a longer fight, but just for, like, a couple minutes, it had great cinematography, and the fight was actually hype, and, you know, the camera mobility and such, the effects, everything was just so good. And it's just like, wow, like, that is just so much better than the previous episode, because I made a huge complaint about it. It was, like, the wonkiest battle choreography I've ever seen, and especially with the character's potential. That, especially seeing of Hazel's peak, like what we saw at volume five, it was nothing. This, it just showed new levels like, oh wow, the only one who could really, the only ones who could potentially stop Hazel, it would have to be a maiden or, well, Salem, obviously. However, I really hope we get to see more fights like that in the future, cause even for those couple minutes, I would like to see a full on flesh fight More like that with the cinematography and battle choreography. I feel like with that, like they really touched up on their base again. It's just insane to me that the last chapter, like one of the worst battle choreographies I've ever seen. Not in one fight, but two fights. And we get this, it's like, whoa, how did we just make a huge difference here? How did that happen? What, what is this? (laughs) So I hope that we get more of that. How this chapter ends is Hazel making a great sacrifice. He sets himself on fire with Salem by trapping her, and, well, Oscar was able to eviscerate the both of them. Uh, which I guess, uh, we'll see how that goes, and how long she'll be gone for. But, yeah. Honestly, I would have to give this chapter somewhat of like, a 7.5 out of 10. It was actually really decent for a lot of things that a lot of things are still like kind of seeding out and characters we get to see a little bit more of the mindset of the characters and such and basically for the action that they incorporated for this chapter nicely well done i'd have to say the highlights was definitely neo as usual hazel versus salem and salem's dialogue and her character at- overall but that's just me uh but yeah now chapter nine is over Let's rewind on chapter 10. So how this chapter starts, uh, Ironwood loses control over maintaining order, obviously, but like it's more prominent with this chapter. And he's been getting reports that the people that have been captured uh, and imprisoned, well, they all technically escape except for Jacques, because Jacques is just that much of a weak-ass punk. And yeah, about that, um, that power that Oscar pretty much just shot out of his fucking cane. Oh, God, that was the equivalent of a fucking giant nuke-ass bomb right there. God damn. I'm just surprised the city, like, did not suffer from that. Just basically the grim whale and any other types of grim. Other than that, the city is just, like, fine. Like, as if nothing happened. Like, what the fuck? And here's another thing, right? Like, (gasps) Neo just gets out of that shit like it was nothing. Like, was she still inside of the whale the entire time? Like, wow. Like, she just really escaped like nothing happened. Like, this girl is literally hopping, skip hopping around and has the relic in her head. So, in such a snarky attitude. Like, oh yeah, like, I got away with this. See ya, guys. Like, Neo fucking kills me like I said she's been the highlight of this fucking volume and it just continues that way Please I hope it continues for the rest of this volume do not drop this rooster teeth don't please And now Hazel is gone so literally like right now the only people that can still help with Salem's goals are Cinder and Watts. They're the only people left right now that are in Atlas. Because, you know, we have Mercury and Tyrion that left for Vacuo. Uh, Hazel, well, we saw what happened. Emerald is now an enemy towards the Salem, and I guess maybe Cinder too, if they see each other next time. Who knows what C- uh, Emerald's gonna do. But, oh man, like, yeah. The only people that you can really rely on is now Cinder and Watts. Now, here's the thing. Like, Salem kind of gave her the green light to be like, oh, you want the Winter Maiden's power? Fine. Go right the fuck ahead. And Watts is just like, uh, w- well, we gotta actually get a plan here because, <laughs> I mean, Salem, we don't know how long it's gonna take for her to put herself back up together. So, yeah, we're the only reliable ones right now and shit, we gotta do something rather than nothing. Not We can't just wait for her to come back, otherwise we're fucked. But, excuse me, Miss Power Princess over there is so fucking worked up. and going like, oh, well, nothing's changed. You're going to bring her to me, and I'm going to take the power out of her. That's how exactly it's going to work. Thanks, bitch. Bye-bye. And Waz is just like, "Uh, no, I only implanted a virus in her. I can't, like, control her remotely. I don't have that type of power. Unless, like, you know, he's able to fucking rob Pietro at that moment, which... It's highly unlikely that's going to happen. So, yeah, all the the best he could do is just plant a virus with specific instructions. Open the vault, give the relic to Ironwood, and then self-destruct. Which, it does suck, because I was kind of hoping that Watts will be able to uh, steal Pietro's project. uh, Penny that way. And, uh, yeah, I guess even for his geniusness, it doesn't take him exactly that far. So, Cinder doesn't really like that, and because of that, she's not getting exactly what she wants, she is going to kill Watts over it, and she can get away with that because Salem is gone, and she has no fucking idea of what the fuck is happening, uh, or nor she's going to find out how Watts died. So, she's like, oh, well, I mean, <laughs> you're not really needed anymore, because now I'm just here to get the Winter Maiden, and you only sold your purpose here for fucking... Atlas. So, I don't think you're gonna be needed that much in Vacuo and Back to Veil. Vale. So, yeah, you're good. You, you served your purpose here. And oh god. It was just so stupid because it's like, why would you kill one of Salo's most competent fucking players in her fucking team, but I mean, again, this bitch is too power-fucking-hungry. She's too blind to see anything, especially after Volume 3. All she cares about after getting the mated powers is getting whatever the fuck she wants because she feels that, that everyone owes that shit to her because of what happened to her since she was fucking born. So, unfortunately, she just punishes Watts over that shit, even though it wasn't entirely his fault, but, like, hey, like, it could get the relic some way, shape, or form, but... <laughs> God. Literally, Watts, he skyrocketed in my fucking tier list of my favorites because of this. I think he has to be like one of my top favorite antagonists now. Cinder has them dangling over on top of a fucking building. And goddamn, that that would be such a far fall. Like, yeah, he could definitely die from that. I don't think his fucking uh, aura will be able to fucking save him from it. But, holy shit. This man, like, he has his arms, like, still, like, onto Cinder's grim arm. And the minute that she tells her, uh, or tells him the plan... He just lets go and it's just like, oh, okay, no, bitch. All right, you know what? This is just so fucking sad. So because I'm about to die, I might as well put you in your fucking place and have the last laugh, which, <laughs> God. oh my God. It has to be one of the best scenes of the fucking volume. Maybe in this series as well, actually. Like, holy shit, like the minute that he just, puts his arms down and he just starts being expressive of how he feels towards the Cinder and literally roasting the shit out of her. God damn. That is a fucking power move. Like, wow, you really wanna dial by having the last laugh like that. Like shit. Cause I mean, like, he's not wrong. Cause he calls her out on all of her failures. Like, yeah, she started the Freer's room. She failed getting the Winter Maiden powers and of all people, Penny gets it, not Cinder, who is better than Cinder. And not only that, she got fucked over by the Raven Broadwood situation. And it's just like, oh, God, he did not let that go, which I'm so glad that he did not. Someone needed to put that bitch in her fucking place as an antagonist because holy shit because I I bet he's even frustrated too with all the failures and the setbacks because it's just like they're now just playing catch up because if she did not go after for her fucking selfish desires, especially thinking that she's hot shit with the fall maiden powers then they probably could have both of the relics by now. But it's still going in hand of Ironwood to Team Ruby and with Team Salem. Like, holy shit, it it ain't gonna end all because of her fuck-ups. And the way of how he calls her out, it just shows of how nobody, not a singular soul, I'm not counting you, Emerald, a singular soul actually respects Cinder. Because it's like, the way of how she treats her fucking associates are fucking shit. And even with that, there are much better people than fucking Cinder. And this is the same person who was able to pull off the fall of Beacon. And ever since then, she's been getting set back and set back and set back over the course of the fucking year. And yeah, no, she's nothing but a fucking failure who just happened to have fucking powers and was lucky to have survived that long. Which she should have died in that fight with Raven. And you know what? Here's the thing that scene can be used out of context for a lot of things. So uh, if you have not kept up to date with my Twitter, I posted this thing of like, oh, if somebody could have warned you against such a miserable idea, oh wait, I did, bitch! (laughs) That scene, like that particular segment that could be used for a lot of things and I just love of how much power there was in that fucking line. Basically, that, that scene was power itself, but like... It can be used for a lot of things. And I'm just like, oh, my God, you know what? I got to use this. So I I have a new tweet on my Twitter account because, you know, I'm – quite upset with people that I especially know personally that have not been taking this pandemic seriously and are kind of being hypocrites about it so (laughs) yeah so I kind of made that tweet dedicated towards to them and it's just like you know what like I I gotta use this this is actually a great reaction video for a lot of things so you know what Kruby and Watts thank you so much for giving me great material as to how I feel like (laughs) so much personality I love it that scene will forever live red free on my head and I am here for it. And for the first time ever we actually get to see something very interesting towards the fucking cinder. She of all people showing human emotion? Like she actually has those? Like a- actual like some type of humanity? She still has that more than Ironwood? That's fucking crazy. There's no fucking way. That that's actually like astounding to me of how like she literally just stopped on her bullshit, and she just sat there and started crying. Yeah, bitch, you kind of deserve that one. <laughs> and here's another thing, right? How is Watts, like, always, like... He's always, like, have his, like, thrown up against the fucking wall. He's about to die. He's always at put a death's door. And yet, somehow, at most of the fucking time, he always fucking survived by some type of bullshittery. Fucking... <laughs> Watts' fucking plot armor is so fucking insanely huge and so sturdy, it's... Wow. It is much sturdier and more durable than fucking Ironwood's defenses with his fucking military and all types of security that he has in the entire fucking kingdom. That just shows. So after that, we see Team Yang with Emerald, right? They kind of have her a little bit as a prisoner now. Now, I mean, I-I get it, like, Ren was kind of being rational here, going like, well, if she can help us, then we definitely should consider it. Jean is like, fuck this bitch, and Yang, obviously, she has every right to be upset. Everyone has a right to be upset towards the fucking Emerald. Like, dude, she was responsible for not only the fall of Beacon, but, like, she also put up the, uh, assault on the fucking Haven Academy. She's also killed people in fucking Cinderstead before too. Like, are we just gonna forget that? Like, dude, come on. The reason why I'm saying this is because, like, I get. I, I like the idea that Oscar was. Uh, Trying to be the neutral ground base here, like that was his intention, and I understand that much. Same thing with Rand. I feel like he had a better execution than Oscar on this. But what I don't like is the fact he was like, "Oh, I get what she did. You have every reason to feel the way that you do, but just give her another chance." Like, uh, uh, dog, she's a criminal. Like, it doesn't matter of like what type of bullshit that she on. Like, yeah, you could be, you can be sympathetic towards somebody, but like give her another chance like nah i i feel like again the 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 dialogue wording it may have not been perfect but it's just like to give her another chance you're asking a lot because like nobody could like because she she helped with a lot of trauma and especially with a fight at heyman academy oh god like i would want to punch the living shit out of emerald too like come on man Oscar, I'm sorry, like, I like you, but it's just, like, you saying a second chance, like, maybe you should have just been, like, just cooperate for right now with her. She's not an enemy as of right now, and if we have to pull some shit on her, then we'll do so. Other than that, let's just put up with everyone's bullshit for right now, because everyone's in a very shitty situation, even her and even all of us. So the best that we could do, the more the merrier. I feel like if they just set it off that way, just so that they could like grow with their character deaths even more, I feel like it would be better that way. But it's just the fact that like we just jump sc- straight to the gun of like, oh yeah, just give her another chance. Like, no, I'm sorry, but you're asking for a lot since she's part of the reason why many people died. She's also part of the reason of how Cinder was successful, everyone else was so successful, of how Penny died the first time we're not gonna just forget about that just because Penny's back now. No, I'm I'm never, ever gonna fucking drop that shit onto fucking Emerald like that. It's so fucked. Like, yes, I get that she's been blinded by this hope that Cinder gave her, but it's just like every character should have to face the consequences for their actions no matter what. It's up to her to actually make it up for it because of how scared she is. But at the same time, later what happens, I do like the fact that Uh, they get to see the uh, citizens of Atlas. They're all scared. They're all, like, fucking terrified of this attack. And Emerald sees that. And, you know, she's not going like, oh, ha, ha, ha. Like, she's so, like, she feels like on the same boat. Like, she feels trapped in this situation. And, you know, at least with this part, I do agree with Oscar, the way of how he handled the dialogue here. It's like, however this fight ends, we could really use someone like you. So, please, like... I don't want this to be a moment of time where we fight again. Like, let's... We're in something for our own interest. Please. Please help us. So after that, we see the scene with uh, the Asos reuniting with Ironwood. So, uh, Winter drops the bomb. <laughs> I'm so penny. She drops the, uh, the fact that that was not the payload that, uh... That happened to the whale and Iron was just like who could have done that like yeah, like who could have done that shit? And I guess he didn't want to waste time speculating that because I feel like that's like very important for him to know that, you know? So he drops the news that well, uh, we got a problem. Uh, Basically, the people that we kept in prison, they have escaped all for except for Jock Schnee. So because of that, like the only people that we could utilize is the lives of Ren, Yang, and Jean. Even though we actually know what happened with that. But he also mentions that, uh, he's like, Oh yeah, Penny has not shown up yet, whether Watts was incompetent or he betrayed us. Like, (laughs) what do you think? I I don't think he had any pleasure of working with you guys, like, you know, in that way sincerely. I don't think he was gonna turn a new leaf to work for you again just because you have him captured. I don't think that's how it works, Ironwood, because he wants you to fall. He wants you... To, he wants to see you fail after for all the shit that you supposedly put him through. So it's like, how you make that claim that he's like, oh yeah, he betrayed it. Like, yeah, no shit. If he has the opportunity to fucking get out of jail and betray you and fucking go up against you so he can have the last laugh, then fuck, he's gonna fucking go for it. He is helping... Of the destruction of the kingdom. What makes you think that he cares about all that shit now? Like, there is not an actual genuine reason. Especially you kicking his ass and forcing him to work for you so he doesn't die. Like, (laughs) come on, shut up. I'm tired of your bullshit, Ironwood. You're just so... Oh god, you've gone that crazy that you just don't make sense. (laughs) But anywho, he also mentions that he needs the Winter Maiden now so they can use the staff and, well, have atlas go up to the actual skies literally as high as the amity tower for when the message was dropped uh but my thing is is the fact that like didn't salem like destroy the barrier the security like for atlas and wasn't that exactly like part of the climate the artificial climate that you set up for the kingdom like dude (laughs) like is it still there? Cause like if that's gone, then the artificial climate is not there. So y- how are you gonna use the winter uh how are you use the fucking staff of creation? Like are you just gonna move as far away as possible? Like you guys are gonna like fucking what? Like go Star Wars shit and just zoom out of away f- from mantle? Is that your new new plan? Cause I don't think I actually cannot see them going up to the skies anymore like they said they would. You know, out to fucking outer space. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, again, we'll, we'll see if how this plan actually follows through to the end. So he goes over to Winter and be like, hey, go grab those maggots for me. And <laughs> Harriet is such a snitch. I swear to God, like, I, she really wanted that payback after for Winter putting her in her place. But she's like, oh, yeah, I'll pretend she's over here and let them go. <laughs> god damn like wow he's like you really want to be petty like this <laughs> well <laughs> good luck with what's gonna happen next to you uh harriet because <laughs> i don't think i am not seeing good signs for you at the end of this volume but anywho and, yeah, Ironwood goes fucking batshit crazy, because, like, now he literally has nothing. He doesn't have the Winter Maiden, he doesn't have any of Team Ruby imprisoned, and, uh, he, yeah, he pretty much lost everything, and technically also the Relic of Knowledge as well, even though he's not exactly trusted with it anymore. And he gets reports that the Schnee Dust Company ships, they have arrived to Mantle, just so that they can call for help, but, oh my god, this bitch is so fucking petty. I didn't think he'd be that petty enough... To where, like, he goes like, oh my god. So, it's always been about Mantle, huh? When it's not exactly the case. Like, they're trying to save both. It's just the fact that you're not also prioritizing the lives of Mantle. That's also part of the Atlas Kingdom, you know? They're they're gonna suffer because of you. So, and you can guess what he does next, which I'll get into. Which, I'm gonna talk a little bit more about this at the end. So... Moving on, (laughs) Neo, she gets in touch with Cinder through text, and she goes like, Oh yeah, your boss won't stay dead, but you will if, you know, without this. And she just shows off the most snarkiest fucking picture. The guy like, Oh no, who could have done such a thing by taking the relic of knowledge like this? So she makes it very clear that she is no longer allying herself, um... Aligning herself with um, Cinder and with Team Salem, essentially. Like, now she's just in it for her own interests and she can get away with it. So, uh, I, I guess there has to be some type of confrontation that's going to happen between with the two. Especially if their goal is to get the Relic of Knowledge back. Which, I'm not exactly sure why Neo gave that uh, opportunity to her. I just wonder what the deal is going to be. I, I guess that's what it sounds like. Because it's like, if you want her name, you know what? You owe me. I'll give you the name and I'll give you the relic if you give me what I want. And I don't know what she does want at this point because she wants to kill Ruby. So, like, I, I don't know how this exactly involves the center. So what does she have to do for you to be, you know, to give that incentive for you to give the relic? We'll have to see that in the future chapters. And following up with that, we get to see the reunion after nine chapters with ruby's team and yang's team except for crow and robin they're still well (laughs) in well they're not in prison but like they're still like running around in atlas since they're able to escape prison but yeah almost everybody is reunited and the kids are all back together plus emerald which you know i love everybody's reaction towards that mostly with ruby but (laughs) but (sighs) come on can Can you not... I'm going to need Kruby to stop doing this to me. Can you guys not, like, give us, like, 10 seconds of Casey's beautiful voice? Like, I'm sorry, but, like... When she started singing and it was just so... Like, there is so much emotion that she just brings out of me with her singing. I don't know what it is, but that girl got power. And the fact that you only put out 10 to 15 seconds of that. No, I'm sorry. I'm trying to get the... Now I want the whole soundtrack so bad because she's been popping off with these songs. Oh, God. I, I can't do this. Groovy, you can't just keep doing that. I know you guys are usually known for this thing. Like, you guys would, like, showcase her- one of her lyrical songs for like 10 to 50 seconds and then after that we won't hear it for another few months until we get the whole soundtrack. Like, come on. That was so good! That was so beautiful! (laughs) I'm so upset. Next, this just randomly gets mushed in into the tearful, uh, segment, but, uh, there was a CCT, uh, emergency broadcast and we just see Ironwood's military destroying the SDC ships and after that, we just see him deliver his ultimatum tours to Penny and Team Ruby. And if you haven't guessed it, well, this bitch, this son of a bitch goes like, Hey, I get that you want to save Mantle, so you got two choices. Either you help me save Atlas, come here and do your duty, and Mantle will be left to defend for itself, or I will blow it the fuck up, and if Mantle's not in the equation, there's no reason for you to cooperate with me. Like, God, this guy is just so far long gone. Oh, God. But before I talk a little bit more about my complaints with Ironwood, uh, can we talk about, like, why do they make the fucking recording, like, So much high quality, like, why- why was the- there was production value into that fucking message with the- recording- the camera angles, the everything, like, did he actually have his fucking people set that shit up for him just to actually- for him to look like the fucking misguided hero that turned out to be the fucking villain of this shit, like- (laughs) Like, I'm not gonna lie, that still said to chill down to my spine as to how far god he is, though. But dude, get the fuck out of here with your camera shit. We're going like, oh yes, I gotta make this dramatic so they'll take me even more seriously of how like how I lost my humanity and how they will be forced to cooperate with me, and how showing them fear will make them work. Like <laughs> why did you go through that much effort just to do that? I'm tired of this bitch. Like, the, the entire fucking background is just so dark, and then there's just a spotlight onto Ironwood. And just, you see the highlights and shadows so detailed like that. Like, I'm, I'm tired of it. <laughs> I just wonder if how the Aesop's and Winter must have felt about that. Like, oh, yeah, well, since I gotta do this, let, let, let's just make this better. Like, you know, let's about to our name like this. Like, th- did they really have to do that? <laughs> I know it's not exactly really important. And I'm not like, I'm not nitpicking here. I just think it's just so fucking funny. Like this man actually went out of his way. <laughs> I digress though. But now let's talk about the actual contents of that message, okay? And actually, no, more so to Ironwood, because he's basically gonna be like the final thing I'm gonna be talking about with this um podcast episode. Now, I seen this uh, surface up on YouTube and somewhat of Ruby Twitter as well. So I'm going to bring the discussion here onto my podcast regarding with his semblance. Now, if you don't know what his semblance is, (sighs) his semblance is metal, which it strengthens his resolve, which allows him to carry through with his decisions and whatever the main objective that he has in his mind, and it helps him hyper focus onto that mission which like sure like you could argue that that's like you know you could see that within his character but like why would you actually make that as a part of his semblance like there was no point of that and the worst part about that is that it was never revealed in the show it was actually revealed in an interview an interview with rooster teeth before volume eight started premiere and it's just like whoa what the fuck And they said that we've actually seen his semblance in action. It's just like we see it bits and pieces here and there. Like, what does that mean? How can we tell if he's actually using his semblance? Like, he could have just been like Watts and not have a semblance, right? He could just only have aura and all he is is like, you know, some type of interesting gunfighter. That's it. That's all they had to do. But they wanted to make it part of his character to where he does have a semblance. But here's the thing. The way of how he's been acting ever since the end of Volume 7 to Volume 8 now, I feel like it's kind of fucked up his character. Like, I wouldn't say in a bad way because, like, the way of how he is right now, it makes sense and it's consistent. But at the same time, though, I feel like he would be a better... Like, if they were to actually, like, reveal this part of the semblance, then maybe all the side effects of him, like, deteriorating his humanity would be the cost of it that's permanent, right? I feel like that would have been a better idea, but, like... Even with then, let's say that Ironwood does fight in this volume again. His aura must be so fucking low because he has lost his mind. He is going batshit crazy and he is no different from Salem at this point. He is literally threatening the people that he has sworn to protect just so that he can only help. Well, it's not to really save Atlas, but it's to pretty much ensure that the relic is safe. And the maiden. But mostly the relic just so that fucking Salem doesn't get that shit. And it will be impossible for her to reach Atlas. If it was clear into the show and if it, like, explains not just only with the story, but as to how, like, his character has been carrying throughout to everything. He could have had the same, like, you know, type of basis like Crow does with his bad luck charm semblance, you know? All I'm saying is that if I see a fight, his aura must be so incredibly low or they explicitly like state of how he's able to regenerate aura so fast, almost as fast as Hazel, or he just has technology for him to still keep his aura like at a bit high so that he doesn't have to fucking worry about that shit. But I'm not seeing that anywhere. But Jesus Christ, they're really in a fuck situation because we don't know how long Salem is gonna be gone for. And regardless, more people are going to die because, well, there is now a f- now another antagonist, which is Ironwood, threatening his own people to die. You have Salem, and th- who is gone, so there's not much that she could do. They could easily get rid of the Grim now. It should be a little bit easier now. Uh, there's Watts, but mostly the one who can really carry out of uh, Salem's wishes and for the destruction of Alice is pretty much Cinder. But right now, it's just Cinder and Ironwood that's putting Team Ruby at a corner at this point. So I will say it's a good way to always keep Team Ruby at a fucking corner and always feel like they're trapped and they can hardly get out of any good luck into this fucking situation. I will say that is good. However, just like I said, just with Ironwood's character, I'm not saying it's bad because I actually do like Ironwood's character of how, like, he progressed. Not a fan of how, like, he actually had a character development moment in Volume 7 for one episode, and then he regressed, and then he just had a new direction. In a way, I guess it justifies a few things, though, but, like, the fact that they have to mention his semblance, I feel like it's more important than Kruby actually believes. And I, I, I'm sorry, like, I, I feel like that's just something that I just cannot ignore, especially to, like, how shit that like, he's been so fucking crazy, you know? I would like to hear a lot of people's thoughts on Ironwood's character and his semblance as a, you know, overall, and how everything's being implemented into Volume 8. What is everyone's thoughts about that? If you did not know that his semblance is metal, well, yeah, they they subtly revealed that over time that, you know, it would have been nice to know way sooner, or maybe through the art book, but we knew this right before volume eight dropped. It's just like, what the fuck? And then you're gonna say that we've seen it happen here and there. How do we know if it's happening? That's that's something that I have always wanted to know. And I went through like Twitter replies here and there, and it's just like, that just sounds so inconsistent. And I think it's so flawed. Like it would have been better if it was not mentioned at all, or he just didn't have a semblance. It could have just been left at that. But I digress. That's all I really have to say for this podcast episode. Other than that, it was a, a solid chapter. I, I, I gotta say it, I was it's an 8, 8 out of 10. All because of so much power that was displayed and the fucking savagery. The fucking savagery from Neo, from Watts, and a lot of characters that just happen to be talking shit and actually, you know, making it look good. So I cannot, I just hope that uh, the savageness continues within uh, the rest of the volume. And we'll see how that goes. So, what are you guys' thoughts on to the uh, the past two uh, chapters, chapters nine and ten? I would love to hear you guys' thoughts on this because there's a lot to talk about with these characters after for so much that just happened within the span of like what few hours, even though it's just two chapters that were like worth of like 30 minutes now. But yeah, that's all going to be for the podcast episode. If you're listening to this show on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave out a five-star rating if you enjoyed the podcast. Hit up the Storm Connect Twitter at StormConnectEN or other platforms this podcast is on for feedback on the show. This is Edo Ninja. Thank you so much for tuning in on today's Remnant Rewind episode. Stay safe, stay healthy, and for fucking heaven's fucking sake, stay smart. See you guys next time.